Welcome to Renovation Church on this lovely Sunday morning. My name is Ethan Fordham, and I do serve as a deacon here. I trust that most of you, if not all of you, know who I am. Uh, just grateful always for the opportunity to come, uh, to be used by Christ, to de- declare uh, the gospel and Christ's word to the people of God on this Lord's Day. And it is much needed, too, in this season, is it not? Uh, If you've been around Renovation Church for at least a year, um, you know that we take the first month out of the year to reorient ourselves uh, around our mission, our vision, and our values, um, those things that we believe the Lord is calling us to. Um, And so this year we're talking about moving forward. And it is much needed in a year such as this to talk about moving forward. In a year that we all feel like we've been really beaten up, kind of, right? Like COVID radically changed how we live our lives, what we do, how we think about other people. And then the election uh, not only was brutal, but continues to be, to have effects that are, uh, are definitely brutal. And uh, as I've perceived uh, in just public discourse, the way we talk about 2020 uh, is well, we're just ready to move on. Let's just move on from this nonsense. Move on to bigger, better, and brighter things. Well, in the midst of our conversations at the elder staff retreat this last year, we realized that we don't necessarily, we, we all feel that tension, right? We want to move on, but we also want to move forward. We want to move forward in those things that we know that the Lord has commanded us to move forward in, those things that do not change, that never change so long as we live this life uh, in this world as we head uh, forward into the next. Brothers and sisters, we move forward this year. And last week, Jeremy uh, did a good job reminding reminding us that we are moving forward forward in worship, that uh, in Christ, the Father is making for himself a people who will worship him in spirit and in truth, and that we see in uh, Revelation 5 and Revelation 4, this heavenly picture of worship, that this is really the reality that we are all headed to, and in many ways, uh, when we worship together as a church on the Lord's Day, it's a foretaste of that eternal, heavenly, blessed worship before God's throne. And that worship is not a means to an end. Worship is the end. It is that highest good to which there is no greater good, to which we move, worshiping our God for eternity in the new heavens and the new earth brothers and sisters, this year we are moving forward in worship. And this morning, today, we're talking about moving forward in discipleship. Or rather, Jesus is telling us to move forward in discipleship. And with this in mind, if you would turn your scriptures with me to Matthew 28, uh, verses 16 through 20. Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. As we approach our passage this morning, 
We want to be attentive to Christ, who tells his disciples what to do given his authority over all things. And what he tells his disciples to do has profound implications on how we will move forward in discipleship in 2021. So if you would please turn again to Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. This is the word of the Lord. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the living God. And God's people said, Amen. We are no doubt familiar with this passage, right? And probably most of us are familiar with this passage in terms of evangelism. Uh, I don't know if you grew up in a church uh, where they might take a Sunday off here and there to preach a passage, to preach specifically this passage, to uh, call people to missionary work out in the world or to call the church to the support of missionary work, right? That the Great Commission is sometimes, or most of the time, understood to be a commissioning to missionary work out there. Well, when we come to our passage, what's really interesting is that the main imperative, Christ's main imperative, his main command isn't to go. It is to to go as a part of that, but it's to go and make disciples. The call to make disciples is the main command here. And now this command to go and make disciples uh, was incredibly pertinent to Jesus' immediate audience, the disciples, the eleven, his apostles. The whole work of establishing the church, of planting churches, of calling people to faith and repentance in Christ still needed to take place. And we see this happen all throughout the book of Acts. The the longer name for the book of Acts is the Acts of the Apostles. Sometimes people refer to it as the Acts of the Holy Spirit in the Apostles. In going from Judea Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth by the power and strength of the Holy Spirit. That they went to make disciples of all nations. That the church is founded upon the apostles and the prophets, with Christ being the cornerstone. Now, don't, don't be mistaken, though. This call, which first and foremost immediately went out to the disciples, to the apostles, uh, it wasn't just to them. They would go out, they would make disciples, and then in turn, those new disciples would then make disciples. The church throughout the centuries has taken this command seriously to continue the work of discipling. The Great Commission is not only for the apostles, 
It's for the whole church, the whole collection of Christ's people, Christ's disciples. In their book, The The Trellis and the Vine, uh, Colin Marshall and Tony Payne say, the Great Commission, in other words, is not just for the 11. It's the basic agenda for all disciples. To be a disciple is to be a disciple maker. The great task of every person who believes and belongs to Jesus Christ is to discipleship, to making disciples. And we read that it is our identity and it's our function to be a disciple and to disciple. I wonder if you understand your identity as a disciple of Christ. Right? We're, we're inundated with like so much conversation these days about personal identity. I am this, I am that. I am Republican, I am Democrat, politically libertarian, whatever. I am X. Or uh, if you're a sports fan, and as we hear very often from our beloved brother, Michael Mazur, I am a Steelers fan. (laughs) Right? These are self-identities. And often when we hear about self-identifying, we also think about self-actualizing, giving ourselves purpose, which is determined by our self-identity. Now, I don't think every conversation about identity is unimportant or useless. It's good to know who we are. It's good to know uh, what makes me me and not somebody else. The things that uh, I identify with. Right? I am. I am Ethan. I am son of uh, Terry and Paul. I am wa- a husband. Husband of Gabby. I am a deacon of Renovation Church. These are all identities, and they all help me understand who I am and where I'm going. And I wonder if you can think of some things. Yeah, I'm this, and it does kind of help me and give me direction uh, of where I am going, what I am doing. But it is often good to kind of boil things down. Who are we, or who are you, most Essentially, when Christ calls us his disciples, he's giving us an identity that we are his disciple. And that discipling tells us who we are and whose we are. The disciples believe and belong to Jesus Christ. But it also tells us what we are to do. That as we are disciples, we are called to the great task of discipleship, to disciple making. Eric Raymond puts it this way. He says, disciple making is ordinary Christianity. It is fundamental to it. Like learning to count and say your alphabet in the natural realm. There is scarcely any part of the Christian life where discipleship does not touch. Insofar as Christianity is a community faith, 
It is a disciple-making thing. Brothers and sisters, when Jesus Christ calls us his disciples, he calls us to the great task of discipleship. In other words, disciples disciple. Right? That noun verb. Disciples disciple. It's who we are. It's what we do. But I wonder if you, if you're listening and you're sitting here and like, that's great. How do I do that? How do I disciple? How do we do that together? Well, the wonderful thing is, Jesus doesn't leave us in the dark. He tells us exactly what to do as Christ's disciples. First, uh, if you would notice, um, in verse 19, he says, Go therefore and make disciples. The, the imperative is right to make disciples, but it's also in going. We go to make disciples. And this is really, the, this is the, the taking of the initiative in the lives of unbelievers in, in the effort of evangelism. In bringing the gospel to people, to where it is not. Right? And the apostles went, the church has gone for the last 2,000 years, and some have gone very, very far to do this work. Right? We think of names of those who have gone. William Carey went to India, didn't see a convert for eight years in India, lost his whole family there in that great evangelistic effort. We think of Hudson Taylor, who started a, I think, inland mission, a China mission, I think is what it's called, went to China to bring the gospel to those people. We think of Jim Elliot, who went to Ecuador, and him and his whole group, before they, I think they could even bring the gospel to anyone, were martyred immediately. I think a year later, if I had read this correctly online this week, a year later, their wives were martyred. And there is a, a great church movement in Ecuador because their wives were faithful after their husbands were murdered to give the gospel to the people who murdered them. The church has gone out to call people to faith and repentance in the gospel. And great missionary evangelistic works are so important in the world today. But then there's us. Uh, you're sitting here right now, uh, so I assume that you are not a missionary somewhere else. <laughs> but we go as well. We also go. Where do we go? Well, we go to work. We go to school. We go to the grocery store. We go to our friend's house. We go... Brothers and sisters, we go. Even if we don't go far, we go. And in our going, we take the initiative to bring the gospel where it is not, in the lives of the unbelievers around us. You know, there is no hope for your neighbors outside of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no hope outside of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
before any of us. So where are you going? Where are you going? And more poignantly, as the Spirit of God puts names and faces upon your heart and your mind now, who are you going to? Now, as we go, Lord willing, as we see people hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ, by the, the work of the Spirit of God, we will bring those people into the covenant community of faith, the church, by baptizing them. Uh, and when we look at the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, we see Peter give this uh, amazing sermon on the day of Pentecost. And at the end of the sermon, uh, the people respond. They say, what shall we do? says, repent and be baptized, every one of you. It says, so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. When people hear and respond to the gospel in faith and repentance, it is the duty and the privilege of the church to baptize them. I'd also have you notice that when it says there were added that day about 3,000 souls in the book of in Acts 2, the early church practiced and believed in church membership. What were they added to? They were added to the church. So we believe in practice church membership here and believe that there's an avenue to discipleship. But we baptize. We baptize people into something. Now, baptism is a sign and seal of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, for those who believe. There's so much that we could say about that right now. There's a lot we could say, some amazing things we could say about baptism. But fundamentally, uh, as we consider it here, as we consider it with dis concerning discipleship, when the church baptizes a person, the church is affirming the faith of that person. That they are indeed a disciple. That in some senses, baptism formally makes a disciple a disciple. It's covenant initiation into the covenant community, the church. The, uh, the New Hampshire Confession of Faith, the confession of the elders here at Renovation Church, says this. It says, baptism is a prerequisite, or is the prerequisite, prerequisite to the privileges of a church relation and to the Lord's Supper. In other words, baptism is affirming someone as a believer and a disciple and welcoming them in to the community of disciples. And though elders are the ones especially called out, to do the physical baptizing, right? As we hopefully will celebrate here in, a, in about a month, some public baptisms, that the elder is the one who sits in the waters with the person and does the baptizing. Don't think that you're uninvolved. You are also involved. That when we baptize that person, they make a public affirmation of faith. You are also saying, yes, disciple. 
we can affirm their profession of faith and say, yes, Christian, disciple, they belong to Jesus. This is what baptizing is all about. This is what happens when we baptize. It's an amazing uh, thing. And baptism, we know, is in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That baptism or our baptismal formula is Trinitarian. That it is in the name, singular, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three. Three persons. That we confess the Trinity here as our God. And that when we baptize, we are being baptized into uh, the Trinity. That those who are baptized believe in and belong to the triune God of creation. That when we are baptized, we resign ourselves to the Father as our God the Father. To Jesus Christ as our Redeemer, our Lord, and our Savior and Teacher. And to the Holy Spirit who will work in us all of Christ's saving graces and will complete our salvation. A disciple believes in and belongs to the triune God. Amen? And next, Jesus says, um, he says, teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. We, know, we next see that, that, that the discipleship is, is teaching and it's being taught. The, the apostles were uh, called by Christ to teach all that Christ had commanded them. And we see the apostles, uh, the leaders of the church in the early church, uh, take that command seriously to go and to teach uh, disciples, to teach the church. Uh, Paul, uh, the apostle in Three letters, one letter written to a young church elder in Ephesus, Timothy, and a, another elder uh, in, uh, ch- in a church in Crete, on the island of Crete, uh, that he constantly tells them in those three letters, in Titus and First and Second Timothy, to preach the gospel, teach sound doctrine, and rebuke those who contradict it. That it is the duty of an elder of a church, a duty and a privilege of an elder of a church to preach the gospel week in and week out, to teach sound doctrine as often as possible, and to love, shepherd, and guide the flock of God given to them to steward, to shepherd. Brothers and sisters, it is your elders' great privilege and honor to preach the gospel to you, to teach you sound doctrine, and to lovingly shepherd and guide you. Why? It's part of our call as disciples. It's a part of the call of an elder in discipleship, to disciple. That as an elder is taught by Christ, we teach the church what Christ commands. And you also, be taught. Be taught. You realize that when you come to church on the Lord's Day, 
are being taught by Christ. We are being discipled by the Lord. That this is a, an incredibly unique time, corporate worship. A time that is unlike other parts, other times during the week. A unique time in which the Lord personally and spiritually comes to speak to his people and for his people to respond to him in praise and thanksgiving. The Lord is disciples us in these moments. Let us all be taught by Christ in corporate worship on the Lord's Day. That you not only be taught, but also teach. Teach. Discipleship is really about getting into each other's lives. Being present uh, to be in each other's lives, to help one another follow Jesus. That's what discipleship is. So if you're a parent, open up your scriptures, man, with your kids. Teach them, disciple them in Christ's word. Husbands and wives, spend time in the word together. Disciple one another. You know, and as you, as you all, and as I know many of you do, have each other over for dinner. Have each other over for game nights. To have fun. To be together. Talk about the Bible. Talk about what you're reading in the scriptures together. Ask questions. Seek one another's guidance. Disciple one another. Never lose an opportunity to ask a question. Never lose an opportunity to be discipled. I just want to say that there is a brother here who never loses uh, a chance to ask me a question about something he's been reading in the scriptures that week. I just want to say that I love his willingness to be taught and his willingness to, to be discipled. And honestly, he disciples me with such great questions as he forces me sometimes to go and find answers to these questions. Ask each other questions. Be in one another's lives. Teach one another Christ's commands. Call each other to obedience to those commands. What would it look like in Renovation Church committed, each member, each person committed themselves to discipling someone and being discipled by someone? To the reading of the scriptures and of good books, what would we look like doing that? What would our assurance look like? What would our knowledge of the gospel and of Jesus Christ look like? How much comfort would we have in that? And I just want to say, uh, and boast really, in some of you, as a, a person who has been discipled by many of you, as a young person, as a person who is new to the faith, that as I would show up early, the tallies and they discipled me with their hospitality or when I would stay late at 
the daily. Sometimes like 10 o'clock at night after initial community. I had so many questions. I just wanted them to teach me how to love these boys. Of course, time went on. Bernie Elliott stuffed me in, poured into me so heavily to teach me sound doctrine, to challenge me when I uh, was in balance. Or when I don't even know when it started happening, but Mike Maisie, for whatever reason, one day started calling me and he didn't stop. always asking me, what are, you, what are you reading in the scriptures? What's the Lord teaching you in the scriptures? And just discipled me and continues to do so as time moves on. And he's, I've accepted and learned from these brothers and sisters. But even now, I disciple that uh, just to publicly celebrate the time that Tim Proberg and I spend together on a weekly or bi-weekly basis, uh, that we get to read and understand the scriptures together, that we have now read, I think, four good books together, and we plan to read four more this year, that we pray for each other, and we pray for many of you as we meet together to disciple and to be discipled grateful for that brother's friendship that we get to spend that time together. Renovation Church disciples make disciples and these are the things we're moving forward in. These are the things we're moving forward in. We're going to take the gospel to unbelievers. We're going to evangelize. We're going to disciple the undiscipled. And then as disciples are made Disciples are formally welcomed into the covenant community of the church through baptism. And then we together would be taught and teach all that Christ has commanded. These are the things that we're moving forward in in 2021. And really, here are some things that I've, how we're going to move forward in those things. First and foremost, primarily, we're moving forward in corporate worship. That worship, as I've said before, is, a, is the Lord discipling us. That as a friend meets with another friend face to face, the Lord meets with us on the Lord's Day when we worship together. I'm going to say something that might be controversial, what wouldn't have been controversial in the past. Uh, one Puritan said that corporate worship is to be preferred over private worship. And in some senses, in personal devotion, we disciple ourselves that it is self-discipline. And I don't want to downplay that. That's a good thing. Do that. <laughs> I have my own plan for self-discipline in 2021. Um, this is a good thing. But how can he say, how can those in the past say that corporate worship is to be preferred over that? It's because the Lord disciples us. It's because the Lord speaks to us. And it's because the Lord meets with us in the preached word. I agree with the, the second Helvetic Confession of Faith when it says that the word of God preached 
is the word of God. That Christ speaks even now through me in a, in a way that I am totally unworthy of. And in a mysterious way, Christ speaks to you now. The Lord speaks through his word. He calls us in the call to worship. And then as he sends us out into benediction, when he, he gives us a new name. And he gives us the blessing of his presence to go out into the world. That the Lord in corporate worship disciples us. And that we disciple each other. And man, I love the singing church. We, we read of in Ephesians and Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How? By addressing each other in psalms and in hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to your heart, to the Lord in your heart. That when we sing, and we sing loudly, we sing not only because we're praising God, we also sing for the benefit of those around us. We sing loudly so that other people can hear us. And man, I don't, I don't sing that well, and I know many of us probably don't sing that well, but singing in corporate worship isn't about us. It's not about me as an individual. It's not about me performing. It's not about me singing well. Man, if you can't sing well, sing louder. <laughs> Just sing so loud so that the people around you can hear you sing so that the words of Christ would dwell in your neighbors richly. We disciple each other when we sing loudly, when we can hear each other sing, when we sing, when we hear the words of great songs, songs that are even shaped and formed uh, in such a way that it is a mutual thing. When we say things like, not just I, but we, we, or even a call with, uh, a call to other people, right? Let the amen sound from his people again, like we sang this morning. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. Oh, my soul, praise him, for he is thy help and salvation. All ye who hear, now to his temple draw near. Join me in glad adoration. What an opportunity and a blessing to sing such songs together. And next we're going to move forward in missional communities. That is a time for smaller groups of believers to gather together, to love each other, to talk about the scriptures, to pray for one another. Missional community has been such a blessing lately. Um, it's just been really, really good uh, to be with, especially the core shout out Eastwood MC. It's been awesome. I've loved being together with some of these people, with uh, the Benenis and the Bousquets and the Votemans. All of these people have just been such a blessing to my soul. And that missional community isn't really just a Bible study, but an opportunity also. They've been hard this year, but an opportunity to think about how are we going to go, right? We think about going in missional community. And we pray and hope for opportunities for those groups that we, we can go. We can serve and love the community. And lastly, we're going to move forward in personal discipleship. Sometimes we call this formation group. Um, we're really talking one-on-one or one-to-one discipleship. That really personal discipleship is going to be uh, organic. It's going to happen. It should happen naturally among us, that as we're reading the word, we're sharing it with others, we're 
uh, teaching others, we're asking to be taught by others. But I also want us to think about intentionality. Having a, a formal relationship with someone where you can uh, agree, like, we, you know, if you're going to meet together forever, um, that sounds, that's great. If you're going to meet together for a year, that's, that's also great. But an intentional, formal relationship where you could say, we're going to meet together, we're going to read these books, we're going to read the scriptures together, and we're going to pray for our church, and we're going to pray for our community. That you would disciple and teach one another to be together for the next, the next year, at the very least. Man, if you need a list of good books, some of us are not short in having a list of good books that can be read. This is what we're going to move forward. Corporate worship, official community, one-to-one personal discipleship together, being together. This is what Jesus calls us to, his disciples. As Christ disciples, he calls us to the work of discipleship. I wonder if this is, sounds intense. Oh my gosh. How am I going to find the time and the energy to do this? Or maybe even as you hear from the world, the world's call to be discipled by them. Or as we feel the pressure, there's a mounting pressure not to be discipled by them. The, the threat we feel that maybe fear in us keeps up a great call. As we feel this pressure, as we hear this call, Christ is not short. He's given us great words of comfort and strength. Verse 18, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And that's, he says, go therefore. Therefore, upon what basis? Upon Christ's authority over heaven and earth. Now, this might sound kind of surprising. Like, Jesus is God. Like, how does he receive authority? But I think Matthew Henry is helpful here. He says, as God, equal with the Father, all power was originally and essentially his. But as mediator, as God-man, all power was given to him. That we see in the plan of redemption, Christ, the God-man, being given authority as mediator over his church. That that's the authority that he's granted, and it's the authority that he grants to his people in this great commission. That the Lord, that Jesus is the Lord, and he sends out uh, his church to make disciples of all people. Peoples of all nations. Right, not just some people, not special people, all people. Right? Relationship with God at one time was um, really strictly for the Jews. But here we see Jesus opening floodgates to every nation. That relationship with God is for every kind of person. And Lord, uh, our brothers and sisters, we go out with this authority make disciples. Disciples not of the world, 
but of Christ's kingdom. And I really mentioned this in light of the today's events, or not today's events, but this week's events uh, in our capital. That there are some who would establish their power, their authority. There are some who think that even in establishing the power and authority of their party, that Christ's power and authority is therefore established. That we would be then discipled by that kind of power, that kind of authority. Not with Christ. All authority in heaven and on earth is His. And that when we go out to make disciples, we go with His authority. Why? Because we go with His word. Not somebody else's word. Not politicians' words. Not political ideology. Not with the art of the deal. No. We go with Christ's word. With Christ's commands. With Christ's authority. That when we go and we proclaim the gospel, we do it not on our authority, nor any man's authority, but Christ's authority. And if you're here today, and you don't know Jesus, if you're listening on the live stream, you don't know Jesus, I can say with all authority in heaven and on earth that Jesus Christ is Lord and that salvation is found in His name alone. That salvation from God's wrath against our sin, His just condemnation on sin is found alone in Christ Jesus who has all power and authority in heaven and on earth to save you. To save me. That's the kind of authority that we need to hold in mind. The authority of Christ Jesus our Lord. And next we, uh, we notice two things. In the first part of the passage where it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, when the apostles approached Jesus, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Right? This is like the third time the apostles have seen the risen Christ. And I just want to like agree with John Calvin when he says that there is something wonderful about the fact that they worshipped and they doubted. That in their hesitation, they still worship the risen Christ. And if we're honest with ourselves, do we not also hesitate? Do we not also doubt? That in our going out, that in our coming to Christ, we're really, is Christ really with me right now? Is Christ really present with me in these moments? Brothers and sisters, the Lord is not short in calming our hesitations and our doubts with his very word and presence. And they do not inhibit Christ from using us and from working in us and through us. Matthew Henry again, sorry, he's my favorite commentator, said he came and spoke familiarly to 
to the dark as one friend speaks to another, that they might be fully satisfied in the commission he was about to give them. He that drew near to God to speak for us to him draws near to us to speak from him to us. In our hesitations and our doubts and our worshiping Christ, our King, our friend, comes to speak sweet, kind, calming, and strengthening words to his people, to his brothers and sisters, to his children his church and as Christ approaches us he also continues with us he says behold I am with you always until the end of the age Christ is emphatic here the emphasis is on I it's on I I will be with you till the end of the age Do not suppose that as you go into the world, that you go with your own strength. No, you go in my strength, with my words, and in my presence. That Jesus Christ goes with his people, with his presence, to be with them. In all of our endeavors as disciples, to disciple, to be fully satisfied in this commission with his presence. But you might wonder, Jesus Christ was about to ascend into heaven. He was not going to be present with his disciples much longer. And he certainly isn't physically present with us now. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ is present and close with us by the indwelling of his Holy Spirit the indwelling of his Holy Spirit with his people. Gavin Ortland, in his book, Gentle and Lowly, says Jesus Christ is closer to you today than he was to the sinners and sufferers he spoke with and touched in his earthly ministry. Closer to you today. Through his Spirit, Christ's own heart envelops his people with an embrace nearer and tighter than any physical embrace could ever achieve. That as Christ is not present with us now, physically, he is so close to us with his, by his spirit. That as we go out and Christ is present with us, that he promises to be with us. God with us? Yes, God continues to be with us as we go and as we make disciples. Renovation Church disciples disciples. And that's what we're doing. Not just this year. We're emphasizing it. Man, it's what we're going to do until we die. It's what we're called to. Why? Because Christ is worthy. Because of his authority and his power. The disciples need to be made and called into the worship of our God. That in eternity, in a restored fellowship, we might worship Him with the assembly forever. And 
it was we make a cycle of just becoming better worshipers. But discipleship makes us better worshipers because God is worthy. Because God ought to be our highest good, our greatest delight. That's what we're going to do for the next year until we die. Renovation Church, disciples disciple. That's our culture core. So fear not. Be discipled in Christ's authority and by the comfort and presence of the Holy Spirit. Remember that deep into that, dig deep with me and honor the Lord your God. Let's pray. O Lord, our God and Father of our Savior and your Son, Jesus Christ, we come to you in the power and assistance of your Holy Spirit. And we do pray that as you have transformed our identities into, as, into disciples, that, Lord, you would give us the strength and the resolve to disciple. Lord, disciple us by your word. Meet with us and bless us with your presence. God, be glorified in all of this. Be honored in all of this, Lord, for you are worthy of all of our lives. Lord God, we do pray these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.